0: Hello, my pastor friend. If you listen regularly to Shepherdology, then you know we've been taking a break for about a year. And to be honest with you, it was unintended. Didn't really plan to stop recording, but it just happened. And as uh, we say about a lot of things, COVID happened. But that really wasn't the reason, just various factors, some providential, some circumstantial. But uh, it's good to be back with you. And my desire is to be a friend to pastors and encourage you and with that in mind, I do want to start these podcasts with an encouraging truth. And the truth I want to share with you comes from John 21, when Peter was interacting with Jesus after Jesus had asked him, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I do. And, and then he told Peter to feed my sheep. And Peter saw John. And he might have been thinking of the privileged relationship that John had with Jesus, or maybe just because John was in view there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus had just told Peter about how he was going to die. He kind of alluded to the fact, somewhat metaphorically, the fact that he would be uh, crucified. He would die under circumstances not of his own choosing, and in a way that would be very unpleasant for him. And so Peter said, Lord, what about this man, speaking of John? And Jesus responded to him this way. He said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And those are Jesus' words to Peter recorded in John 21, verse 22. And Jesus wasn't stating that John wouldn't die, but he was making a point. And he was saying to Peter, if God in his sovereign plan determines that John will not die, that he will be exempt from the natural laws of aging and death, but you, Peter, even before you've finished out your natural time on earth, will be tortured and executed as a criminal and die in the most shameful way. Jesus was saying to Peter, the difference is not your concern. I want to draw from that exchange between Peter and Jesus the issue of comparison. Peter saw John. He said, what about him? Jesus said, you follow me. And as pastors, it is possible for us to fall into the trap of comparison. We look at other pastors. We see their ministries. Sometimes they seem to be doing exceptionally well or at least Um, doing better than that our ministry is. We see another church in town with a full parking lot or they're adding services and maybe your church is barely holding its own. You've plateaued, possibly even dwindling in numbers. Or you see pastors who just seem to have exceptional gifts and they are phenomenal communicators and you struggle to put together a sermon and get get it across to your people on a Sunday morning. I mean, there are a hundred things we could think of when it comes to comparing ourselves with others. But the point of this is that God made you who you are, and Jesus, the chief shepherd, has assigned you to the place and the people where he wants you. And just like he said to Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. I think there's a message there for, for pastors today. Your ministry setting, the people you shepherd, and the circumstances in each season of your ministry are all part of the chief shepherd's assignment for you. So stop comparing yourself with others and keep your eyes on Jesus and you follow Christ. So that's just a little encouraging truth to start us out today. If you find yourself falling prey to comparing yourself with other pastors or your ministry with other ministries. Take those words from Jesus and let them speak to your own heart and just realize that he has sovereignly made you who you are. He has sovereignly placed you where he wants you. He has a will for you, just like he said to Peter, if it is my will that John remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So he was saying to Peter, I'm telling you what my will is for you, now you just keep your eyes on me and follow me. So whatever Jesus' will is for you, the chief shepherd for you, his under-shepherd, know what that is, resolve to follow that, and keep your eyes on Christ. Ultimately, it's about following him, uh, not just a path, not just a plan, but following him. So keep your eyes on Jesus. So I hope that might encourage you a little bit. And I do want to talk about a topic as well. And so we'll spend a few minutes talking about a topic today. The topic we're going to focus on in this episode is leading through change. This is something that I've experienced as a pastor, as I had the opportunity to pastor for about 25 years. And there are some challenges that come with leading a ministry and people through a process of change. And it can bring great opportunities and new life in the ministry. But I know as a pastor, you bear a burden, you feel pressure. There's a level of stress that comes with leading through change that maybe other people don't realize or maybe even are a surprise to you. And just through my experience, as well as biblical guidance and some resources that I find helpful, I've developed a set of principles that I think will be helpful for you and I call them essential steps in leading through change. But as I was thinking about this topic, I thought about some of the changes, major changes that I've experienced. And maybe these are the examples of the kind of thing that you might face as you lead a church through a time of change. Uh, what one is going from being a solo pastor to adding an assistant pastor or even a pastoral team or going through the process of of, of having just one pastor to having several pastors serving together. That's one I've experienced, and that certainly is a great step to take, but also comes with some challenges. Another one is just starting a new ministry program. I remember when, uh, as a solo pastor, I began the men's ministry at the church where I was pastoring. Uh, Another church where I pastored, there was a large Spanish-speaking constituency in the community, and we decided to start a Spanish-speaking ministry. And so that was a process of growth and change. And then uh, also we began community groups, so small groups that met in homes in the community on a weeknight for sermon-based discussion. So, so that's an example of starting a new ministry program. Uh, building projects, of course, are uh, major processes of change, and you might not even think about it as change, but it does change the dynamic of the church in various ways. So if you're in a smaller building, and your group of people not only decides to construct and ex- and puts out the money and goes through the, the process of moving in, but there's a whole new feel in, in that new facility that comes with that. And so I went through one process of relocating, uh, pur- purchasing property, relocating and constructing a new building as a church, and then uh, another situation where we stayed on our property, but we developed, we, we built a new worship center with a fellowship area and classroom space. So a lot of variables there with finances and decisions and all those things. And that's an example of, of leading a church through change, uh, adding a morning worship service, going from one to two and then two to three. I know some churches have done that in connection with COVID. Uh, we did it in a situation where we needed the space and then built larger facilities after that. And then one more, and that is, uh, I was able to take our church through the process of uh, going from using only the King James translation of the Bible for preaching and classes and children's ministries to using, embracing, and using a current English translation. So various types of changes there, and you might face something like that or something very different. Could be on a large scale, could be a smaller scale change, but I think in terms of, of steps that are essential to keep in mind as you lead through change, and we'll at least get started with this today and talk about a few of them. And the first one is to start with why. Start with why. And I'm borrowing that title from a popular book on leadership called Start with Why, which really covers this principle. But I think it's a good one to keep in mind when thinking about change. And, and three areas of why. One is scripture, of course, because we want to keep in mind what God's word is telling us to do. So, for example, you're thinking about adding, adding a morning service, or you're thinking about starting a new ministry program, or you're thinking about adding on to your facilities or constructing a new facility. And the question is why? Well, I would go back to Matthew 28 19 and 20 which we know of as the Great Commission and that is where Jesus is instructing us to make disciples of all nations so if you think about that in terms of your community your context the resources you have the opportunities in front of you the potential with your church and the need in your community where does that lead you? So if you're going to fulfill Jesus' commission to make disciples in your community, in your time frame, does that drive you to take a step? Does that compel you to consider some change in how you do ministry, where you do ministry, the scope of your ministry, the different programs in your ministry, the facilities where your ministry meets and functions, the technology you use in ministry, and so on. So right there you have a why in the Great Commission. I also think of a why in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says that Christ gave pastors to the church for equipping the saints for the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. And then he talks about how we will all come uh, to a mature man or a complete person to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's a major topic I've talked about a little bit on this podcast before, and I do talk about it a lot in The Thriving Church, the book that I wrote from Ephesians 4. And the idea there is that we are to be growing as a church in maturity until we fully represent Christ to the fullest of our potential in our community. So again, does that compel you or your church to consider some change? What in that passage in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 might prompt change in church life? So those are two examples of scripture that I think are part of the why. Another part of the why when it comes to leading through change, as we think about starting with why, is the area of mission, objectives, and plans. Mission, objectives, and plans. And mission is a sense of why our church exists in the place where it is at the time that it does. So have you thought about that regarding your church? Have you thought about why does our church exist in this place and at this time? Uh, Why are you there? So why do you exist? Then objectives includes what we're going to do to fulfill that mission. So what objectives should we have in mind that we're pursuing to fulfill that mission? And then plans is how we're going to do it, the way that we're going to accomplish this. So mission, objectives, and plans, and those may generate some changes those might cause you to consider some steps of growth, and those are the why. So we talk about starting with why, Scripture, mission, objectives, and plans, and then what's the purpose? So if if we're thinking about a change, what's the purpose for it? What is the desired outcome? If we take this step, what will our church look like in five years? What will it look like in ten years? Or another way to think about that is, what if we don't make this change? What will our church look like in five years? What will it look like in 10 years? Now there's some other ways to think through the why, but those might be helpful. So think about scripture, think about your church's mission, objectives, and plans, and then think about the purpose of the change and the desired outcome. So that would be essential step one in leading through changes, start with why. The second step is to prayerfully evaluate the change that you are looking at. This would involve praying yourself, praying with your team, whatever that is, if it's just you and your wife, or you and your chairman of deacons, or if you have any kind of an assistant pastor or a pastoral team, and, and then eventually praying with your church as you begin to discuss and converse about these changes. So really prayerfully evaluating and and I have nine questions here again to think about as you prayerfully evaluate the change you're considering. Now this might be a lot to uh, keep track of and so actually what I'm gonna do is post a concise outline of what I'm talking through with you on my website DeanHTaylor.com and so it'll be on there under leading through change and you can look at this outline. I'll include these questions on here so if you don't want to try to scribble them down that's where it'll be. I'll also be talking about an article uh, either in this uh, episode or the next one and I'll have a link to that article there as well so we'll, we'll mention that later. So we're talking about step two Essential step two for leading through change, and that is to prayerfully evaluate. So you're praying, but you're also evaluating these questions. And the first question is, is there a biblical basis for this step of growth? Now, that kind of links back to the first area we talked about of thinking about Scripture. But but think about the issue itself, the change itself in connection with Scripture. So we're thinking about starting a men's ministry. Is there Scripture related to discipling men or equipping men? We're thinking about um, starting a second morning worship service. Is there any scripture that relates to that, that would give us any guidance on that? Maybe there is, maybe not. Uh, We're thinking about starting a Spanish ministry. Is there any scripture that would guide us on that? Well, the Great Commission make disciples of all nations, and here they are right in our community. So there might be some scripture there that connects. So is there a biblical basis for this change that we're considering? And then another question, why are we considering this And and in line with that, what I mean is, are we doing this intentionally or are we reacting to a situation? So are we considering this change because we have developed intentionally a desire and a plan to go in this direction? We think we should, and so we're pursuing it. Or are we considering this change because we're reacting to a problem or maybe to an opportunity? I know of churches that started multiple services, multiple mor- Sunday morning services during COVID in order to uh, to provide social distancing space. So to accommodate their, their congregation in the space they had, they had to add morning services. But then during COVID, after the, the lockdown ended, more people started coming to their services. And so now one pastor said, I'm not going back. We've got three morning services and that's how we're going to keep it because there was an opportunity there. So they, they reacted to the need brought about by COVID, but then that turned into uh, something positive there. So again, why are we considering it? Is it intentional or is it reactive? And that may or may not determine whether you do it or not, but it'll help you to evaluate it. A third question, as you prayerfully evaluate this change, who would it help? So if we make this change, who are we going to help by what we do differently or by this new step that we take? Are we going to help our members? Are we going to help a particular age group within the church? Are we going to help a future generation? When I came to the Uh, the the conclusion in my mind as the pastor that we needed to embrace a current English translation of the Bible. One of my driving motivations was that there is a new generation of young people within our church, but also of people in the community who would come to Christ that we'd be discipling that needed the Bible. They needed God's word in their spoken language. And so I needed to consider my current congregation, but also needed to consider a future generation, both of younger people as well as young believers. So again, who would it help? A fourth question, who might it impact in a negative way? So if we make this change, we pursue this step, Who is that going to impact negatively? And we have to be honest about that. We can kind of sometimes have that confirmation bias where we think about something as, oh yeah, it'll be fine, they'll they'll get used to it, they'll get over it. But we really need to be honest about that and think who's this gonna hurt? Who is this going to disenfranchise? Um, Who is this going to possibly limit in their ability to access what we provide? So just thinking honestly about that. And then the the next one, it kind of relates to that one. What are the negatives of doing this? So this is the fifth of the nine questions. What are the negatives of this step or of this change? What is the downside? What are the disadvantages? Kind of the old system of drawing a line down the middle of a sheet of paper and on the left side put the pros and on the right side you put the cons and so you compare it that way. Really being honest about the negatives of doing it. What's it going to cost? Are we going to have to go into debt? Um, what uh, long-term impact will this have, and so on. And then the next question to prayerfully evaluate is what are the unintended consequences? The unintended consequences. Here's an example of one of those. When our church determined to begin community groups, meeting in homes, we realized that there was not going to be any provision for child care so when people come to the church property and go to prayer meeting and bible study or a class or a service there's always a nursery and there's usually some kind of children's ministry taking place but having community groups in people's homes would make it so that there was no child oriented ministry or infant care provided for them So we were going to have to either come up with a way to address that or just kind of let it happen and and let people take care of it themselves. So that was an unintended consequence. Another one, for example, might be if you relocate the church, uh, there are people who drive a certain distance and depending on how far you move the new facility, they might have to drive farther. So it might add 10 minutes or more to their commute to church and that could affect them, especially if you have on-site events during the week. For example, a a midweek prayer service, Bible study, um, youth ministry, something like that, when there's a lot of traffic later in the day, five, six, seven o'clock, it could definitely impact them. So that's an example of unintended consequences. What is, here's another question to prayerfully evaluate, what is the worst thing that could happen if we take this step? I mean, just think worst case scenario, what's the worst thing that could happen? And then along with that, what is the best thing that could happen? What would be the best case uh, scenario and outcome of this? What would be the greatest benefit, the most exciting blessing that we'd be celebrating if we did this? And then two more questions. Is there consensus among the leadership? Is there consensus among the leadership? And if you have a pastoral team, that would definitely involve them. So if you have two or three or five or seven pastors or however you designate them, maybe there's a team of elders and you work through decisions and you discuss issues like this, is there consensus? Is there agreement? And some would even say that especially among the pastoral team, there should be unanimity. They should all be together on that. Now, maybe not with every decision, but if the church is going in a major direction, this is a a major change, then that might be something to consider. And then, of course, the deacons, depending on the role that they have, but many times their opinions do um, represent or are a good signal of what the congregation is sensing and thinking and feeling. And so where are they on it? So is there consensus among leadership? And then the final question to prayerfully evaluate is what do we believe is the best way to move forward? What do we believe is the best way to move forward? And you you might lay out some options. Well, we could do A or we could do B or we could do C. And here would be the steps we would take to each of those options. And you lay that out and then come to a conclusion and think, all right, this is it. This is the best way to move forward. Now, it could be to put it on hold. And I've been there. I've had a lot of ideas and energy around uh, a plan or a new ministry or a change. And then through discussion and prayer and research, realize, you know what? It might be a good step to take, but we're just not ready. Or we just don't think it's the right time. And that could be hard to do if you're very excited about something and you think it's a great step to take to just put it on pause. But I'm telling you, it's the right thing to do if you aren't sure. And I've seen how God's timing, even over a period of three to five years, on a major step our church was taking, how God's timing unfolded and it would have been the wrong thing at the wrong time had we done it the first time around. But the second time around, it was exactly the right step. And it was God's timing and it was a blessing for everybody. And we moved forward with that energy and that momentum. So just be sure it's the right thing at the right time. So it might be that you put it on hold or it might be you say, you know what, we'll make some adjustments or, you know what, it's good as it is and we'll move forward. Now, just one more thing to to mention as as I wrap up this here for today, talking about leading through change. Uh, Tom Rayner has a helpful resource The title is, Who Moved My Pulpit? Leading Change in the Church. Tom Rainer's little book, Who Moved My Pulpit? Leading Change in the Church. And in that uh, book, he lays out some categories of people in a church and how they view change. He says 5% are eager for change this group is wondering what took you so long they're like pastor we wanted this five years ago you know what what, now you're finally getting around to it these are early adopters maybe a little more progressive sometimes younger generation not always but there's about five percent that are already on board twenty percent Rainer says are open to change they want to know the details Uh, they're thinkers you know they want to understand it uh, but they're typically okay with it 30 percent are followers and they tend to move he says where the loudest and most convincing voices are so so you've got those who are on the leading edge of ready for change you've got 20% open to it and then 30% are going to go the direction that maybe the most influential people are going he says 25% are resistant to change they like the church just the way it is and then he says 20% are highly resistant and uh, Rainer's words, which I chuckle at every time I read it, this group is not much fun. (laughs) And they they view change as bad. Any change is bad. So that's just a reality. So as as you consider a change, be ready for those categories of people and think in terms of how you're going to address, how you're going to respond. And don't be surprised when there are people who object, but also realize that even though the the, the ones who are highly resistant might be the most vocal. There is a large group of people who probably respects your leadership and that of the pastoral team and is ready to move forward as God directs. So just keep that resource in mind, Who Moved My Pulpit, Leading Change in the Church by Rayner, and just some helpful ideas there that uh, might, might be helpful for you. We're going to stop there on the topic for today. We'll talk about it on the next episode of Shepherdology. We'll talk more about leading through change. And what I want to do is pray for you. I've committed to do that every time that I do this podcast because I want you to know that you have a friend and I want to truly be your friend by praying for you. Some of you I know, that's been one of the blessings really of, of even this past year and the past few months, a number of you have expressed your appreciation for the podcast and uh, and requested that it be started up again so that's one of the big reasons I'm doing this. But but also I realize that some of you I don't know and uh, but my, my heart is there with you and as your friend as an unknown friend but as your friend I want to pray for you and so let me do that right now so just, I am not where you are, if you're driving, running, riding a bike, sitting in a chair, however you're able to do right now, just kind of calm your heart, still your mind, and let me go before the throne of grace for you. Father, I'm grateful for my pastor friends. It's been a hard year, and I know that some have broken or nearly broken under the weight of decisions and changes and uncertainty and various opinions, and sometimes division. So I pray that you would undergird them with your strength, that you would fill their hearts with your peace, that you would flood their lives with your grace, and help them to pick up wherever they are, whatever the condition of their church is, and resolve to be the shepherd. You are the chief shepherd. Father, help them to just resolve to serve under you, for you, with their eyes on you. And I pray that some who might even need to consider changes and maybe some who you are leading to uh, consider significant changes in their ministry. Maybe it's by necessity. Maybe it's for survival. Maybe it's because of a phenomenal opportunity that is in front of them. Lord, give them confidence, not self-confidence, not CEO-type worldly business leadership confidence, but just confidence that comes from knowing that you've placed them where you want them and your word is guiding them and that they can determine your will the best they know for their flock and to be the shepherd, to lead and to feed. And Father, for those considering changes, I pray this might help them a little bit, give them some things to think about And give them wisdom as they do this. Lord, we desire unity in our churches. And we don't want to do things that cause division. So help my pastor friends to lead wisely. To be considerate of others and of their congregation. And to love their church. But also do the things that are necessary. Do the things that aren't easy and that are hard. And some people might not appreciate initially. But that need to be done. So I commit them to you and thank you for them and your blessing be upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, my friend, for listening to Shepherdology and we'll look forward to talking to you next time.